Welcome to The Friday Habit with Mark Labriola and Benjamin Manley. The Friday Habit is for small business owners, freelancers, and creatives who are ready to take their business to the next level. Join us as we discover how to apply the strategies we learn to grow our businesses, make more money, and live every day like it's Friday. And welcome to The Friday Habit. Back again for another exciting episode. And today we have a an awesome guest who has lots of life experience and knowledge and I'm excited to just pick his brain and hear uh, his journey. So today we have the honorable Ron Simmons, a man of diverse talents and significant achievements. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Ron. Well, thank you very much for that nice introduction. I really appreciate that. <laughs> My mother couldn't have done it better, so thank you. <laughs> well, great. So you, you actually come from a family of, of uh, public school teachers, right? I do. My mom and dad were both public school teachers. My dad was a band director. My mom was a kindergarten teacher. My wife taught school for a while. My okay. niece is a school teacher. So yeah, we have a school teacher background. That's awesome. Yeah. So you know, we're all about learning, and and you know, Ben and I. One of our things is, um, you know, it, constantly learning. You know, if you're not if you're not growing and learning, then you're regressing, right? Um, and you're staying stagnant. Yeah. There. And no question. And. You know, one of the things I've been fortunate of is my wife of 43 years is is one of those lifelong learners. She just likes to learn, and uh, that's rubbed off on me a little bit, and it certainly rubbed off on our kids, which is which is a good thing. Yeah. So, I mean, growing up with a family of educators, how do you think that you know has shaped your approach to learning? Well, I think what it does is it it makes you know, or at least it imposed on me, first of all, that education is important. I mean, my mom and dad were the first ones in their families to go to college. Mm. But for us four kids, and I was the second of four, that never was even a question. Now, it was a question of how we are going to pay for it, Mm -hmm. but it wasn't a question of whether we were going or not. And because from day one, that was never a question, None of us ever questioned it, right? It was just it was just the natural progression. And so I think it from early on made us look at education as something that was essential and doing well in high school and before was essential to be able to to get to a college that we wanted to go to and what have you. And then once you've done that for 16 years, now me, I squeezed four years of college into 10, so it took me a little longer. (laughs) You're extra special. (laughs) uh, But once you've done that, uh, I think that it's so ingrained in you, it's your approach to everything, right? Mm -hmm. You look at everything in life about, well, what am I learning from that or how can I learn from that? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other thing you just said was that you've been married for over forty years. Yes, as entrepreneurs and and yeah. business owners, I mean, you you know this, right? It's like when you're when you're involved in your business, you're thinking about business. It's it's kind of like uh, you're all in on it. And sometimes, and the thing I've seen is a lot of people neglect their families. What what is your secret to forty years of partnership? Well, first of all, the the first secret is you get them young. Okay, I was nineteen, Lisa <laughs> okay. was twenty, so that's one of the secrets. The other one is, and it's you know I'm a person of faith, so I believe it was God ordained that mm. that He put two people together that in a lot of ways were opposite. 
but those opposites complemented instead of contradicted each other. And so when I would be, you know, going 100 miles an hour, which I was, she was kind of the calming force at home, and she would gently, most of the time, sometimes not so gently, because I probably wasn't listening, would remind me of what, you know, the long-term priorities were. And it made me, because I wanted to, I wanted to please her, that also made me want to do the things that she innately knew, and I may not have, that were important for the family unit. And I think that's really what it was. And then we've touched, we've just kind of been a team. You know, Lisa said something one time. This has probably been 15 years ago. And somebody was asking us kind of a similar question to her as to that, you know, your husband's an entrepreneur. He takes risk. He's done these things. What do you do? What do you, when he does that, what do you think about all that? Right. Does that make you nervous? He said, you know what? I really most of the time don't have any idea. What, what that really is, but I tell you what I do believe in, I believe in him. And, I mean, that, you couldn't have said anything that makes you feel better than something like that. And, and just, uh, you know, just being there for each other, making sure that I always dated my wife, not just married my wife, that was Im- still important to this day. And, uh, and, and, you know, just trying to make sure that that was something that was important to us both. Yeah, so I just had my 19 year anniversary. Great. And, uh, so I'm, I'm you're right over the hump. You. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, it's one of those things too where I feel like as you um, push through, because no relationship's easy. You know, it's all it's always hard. You know, we get sold a bag of goods from Hollywood to say like, oh, you know, you find your knight in shining armor, this no. fairy tale relationship, and it's going to be so easy and fun and never hard. And then you get into a relationship and you realize that it's it's not easy and that it is hard and it takes work. Yeah. Um, and uh, But it's one of those things where as the time goes on and you make it through those difficult situations and you keep pushing forward and um, you make decisions to you know stay committed no matter what, that you find this love that starts to grow deeper and uh, wide. And it's something that you can't really manufacture overnight. You know, it's like a different kind of love. I feel like after almost 20 years for me, it's, it's like we have this knowledge of each other that, that has taken this long to, to create, you know, and, and it creates a special kind of love. And then you throw kids into that mix and, you know, maybe grandkids for you. And, you know, I think, I think to, uh, Mark, one of the ways that you figure that out, and sometimes you might not, you're, you're, you're figuring out probably even earlier than I did, but you figure that out too when conflict arises, right? And we're not we're not talking about. I'm not talking about necessarily. There's not much conflict that arises between Lisa and I anymore, but there are conflicts in life, whether it's with your kids or business, whatever. How I've noticed as our relationship has gone along that that we handle those moments of conflict together much better than we did mm. early on that the conflicting moments early on almost became a battle between us right because we were processing it differently but we've kind of over time figured that out and now it's it's just so the, the the conflict itself is something that we need to deal with but we don't have to be concerned about us being conflicted and that's right. really been important yeah, and you, you know when you're younger too, you, you take everything so personal, and you feel like it's an attack on you, and you're defensive, and all these other kind of things. Then as you you get older and you mature, and you know your relationship deeper, then you're not taking things so so personal. Yeah. 
So, okay, so if people, you know, who don't know, you you served for the Texas House of Representatives. So you were in government. How, how did that like transpire? Like what, what was that? Were you just serving in your community yeah. and you said, man, I want to make a difference. And how do I do that at a higher level? When you were younger, did you always think like, I'm going to be president someday? Like, you know, how did you make that transition from your, no, no, I didn't think any of that. The only thing I wanted to do when I was younger was make sure that I made money. Hmm. Cause I, you know, mom and dad being school teachers, <laughs> uh, we didn't really have much money. So right. that was really my driving goal. But we were always uh, interested in government and and kind of what was going on. You know, I I, I talk about in the book that I uh, my first election that I voted in was Ronald Reagan's presidency in 1980, and I really, I wouldn't say communicated, but I really I understood him, right? Mm -hmm. And he really spoke to me like he did a lot of people, kind of a very positive message about America. And we had kind of come out of the 70s was a little bit of a malaise. I mean, Jimmy Carter did say it right. It it was an interesting time. Now, the best music ever, but still an interesting (laughs) time. Um, And so as my business uh, became more successful and I had some flexibility, I began thinking a little bit more about, okay, what's next and then uh, I was reading the paper one day, and my state representative was retiring after a period of time. And so it just, I mean, it was, I, I certainly wasn't an audible voice, but there was something very strong that said, okay, you should engage here. And I went to Lisa uh, right then and said, hey, and, you know, it was like we were on the same page very quickly. And, and if that happens with us, it's usually a very good sign that's something we need to be involved in. And so I didn't know anything about it. I had never run before. We had donated to causes and people we believed in, but I hadn't, you know, hadn't been hadn't gone to like a Republican Party meeting or any of that. We just kind of went all in, hired the right consultant, which is really key. Uh, if you think about my book where you talk about the wagon. I had to crawl in the wagon as cargo and let somebody else lead the way. And and it was a great experience. I I really really did enjoy serving. So you said that you. When you growing up not financially uh, wealthy, you were really motivated to to make money. And so, how did you do that? Like when you were young, you you said you went through college, took you a little bit longer than the average yeah. person. But uh, what were those things that you saw that um, you know brought success, or what were like those fundamental things that that as you started to you know grow? as a, a business um, owner or an individual, what were some of those key things that, that helped you be successful? I think the thing, well, I, I was blessed with a uh, uh, pretty good intelligence, um, so I could grasp things pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I was the smartest person, but I was pretty quick at understanding the concept of things. A good example of that, when I when I kind of got my first, what I would call my first kind of professional job in uh, in an HR in a company, uh, I was twenty years old, twenty, so I was still going to college. But the whole retirement system for companies was changing. There was a big law that had passed, and all the different com- companies that had retirement plans, there was huge changes going on, and. They threw me right in the middle of that. This my bosses did, and I 
could pretty quickly kind of understand, even though I didn't have any legal training or anything, I, I could understand what was going on. Mm-hmm. Now, I certainly didn't understand all the details. So, so being able to quickly grasp a situation, I think, was important. The other thing that was important, and you know, sometimes we're driven by the carrot and the st- or the stick, right? Well, the other thing that was important was that I saw my mom and dad, who were well educated, had four kids. I mean, living paycheck to paycheck, and sometimes short of that. And then that created a lot of conflict in their relationship, which ultimately aided in them being divorced when I was a a junior in high school. And so the desire for me, too, that you have to have a desire Mm. for something, right? The desire for me to be successful financially was as big a driver as anything I ever had. And so that pushed me to probably do some things I was not as comfortable with, like like applying for jobs that I knew I probably didn't qualify for, but guess what happened? I got them sometimes, you know? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I didn't, sometimes I did. But just continuing to put myself out there. And also, uh, my, my dad and I's relationship at the time wasn't good, so I was constantly seeking people that were in places different than me further along. And I think that's important. A lot of people get so embarrassed by admitting they don't know everything or admitting in a situation they need help. And for whatever reason, the the uh, the desire to grow and to be successful was more important to me than the embarrassment of maybe admitting mm. that I really didn't have all the answers. So that's key. It's just that... Very key. Yeah, not... not because uh, I think a lot of us are driven by um, the fear of what people will think. Oh, um, no question. And obviously the fear of failure. And so a lot of us hinder ourselves, you know, based on that. And so, yeah, um, yeah I think really having that um, that strong desire. You know, I, talk, I talk about a lot to people and wrote about it in that taking the next uncomfortable step. Mm-hmm. Most of us know what it is. For example... Most of us, if we're, let's say we're in a business or whatever, and, and, and um, we, we need, and let's say we're in sales, well, we know who we need to call the next prospect, mm-hmm. and, but it's uncomfortable sometimes because maybe it's like this big, uh, you know, the big fish, right? Mm-hmm. And you're just afraid of, you know, he's going to laugh at me or she's going to laugh at me. But I just, one of the things that I preach is, and I preach it to my kids and to the people that, that, that worked with me, is take the next uncomfortable step. Okay, Mm. the worst thing that's going to happen is you'll end up exactly where you are before you called. Okay, (laughs) and so that's something that I really encourage entrepreneurs to do is is take the uncomfortable step that you Mm -hmm. know is there. You know it's there, and you have to be able to risk the embarrassment of it not going your way. But what I would always do, Mark, is I would focus. I would already paint a picture of how it would be when it was successful. And that's what I would that's what I would focus on. Now, it didn't always happen that way, but it sure made me it made it easier to take that step. Yeah. So what was that that journey like? You said you you were kind of working for a financial company in your twenties. Mm-hmm. And then at what point did you take that leap to do your yeah, own thing? It, yeah. You know, I was I worked for actually a big oil company in their HR area. So in their financial area and what have you. And uh, I looked up one day, and the name of the oil company, it was Murphy Oil, which is a big company. My last name was not Murphy. So (laughs) I knew that there was a ceiling. Mm -hmm. And so, and I'm not exactly sure what was inside of me that made me do it. But, and we were in a small town in Arkansas of about 25,000 people. So there were limited opportunities. And 
I just kind of one day told my wife, I said, sweetheart, I think we need to move to a bigger place where there's more opportunity. Mm-hmm. Well, she was thinking Little Rock, okay, because <laughs> in Arkansas, that's the big town. Right, yeah. But it has like 100,000 people. And my last name wasn't Jerry Jones, you know, the, and it was from up there. So we began looking. I had, a, I had one friend in Dallas that would send me the classified ads. And so I began applying for jobs kind of in the similar industry, financial industry, uh, in Dallas. And I got to Dallas working for a bank. And from that bank, I met a bunch of people that were entrepreneurs, people I really hadn't been able that didn't know back in Arkansas, right? But they were just either they were their real estate company, maybe a law office, maybe a, a little manufacturing company, and that kind of got the bug in me. And then uh, I, I said, "Well, I want to figure out how to do something on my own." And then I was approached by some other people that liked my skills and and um, passion for working, and they wanted to start a company, and they asked me to join them. And that's what I did, and then and then after that, we actually started our a few of us started our own firm. So that was what did it. And was it one of those things where you were kind of working with someone, and then thought, you know what, I, I think I I can do this, you know, on my own. I think I can start my own. Company. Yeah. What what happened was I was working for I was working with some guys in a in a in a trust company, mm-hmm. and we had a game plan where we were going to invest money for small company retirement plans. Like if you had a company and you had 50 employees and Mm -hmm. maybe you had a couple million dollars in the retirement plan for all the employees, well, the big banks and investment companies were not interested in you, Mark. They were were too small. But we were going to set up a niche that would serve them. And as a part of setting that up, we, we were introduced to a guy who was the chief investment person for American Airlines. And they had just set up a group of investment products that they wanted to sell out into the marketplace. One thing American always wanted to do is they wanted to take stuff they were doing for themselves and do it for other people and make money at it. And Mm -hmm. one of those was they had huge amounts of money to invest all the time. And so... And so we met with this guy, and had, and he said, well, you could use our products for your you know, small company clients. And we said, oh, that sounds good. You know, that's, and we were early on, and uh, this was in 1988, I think. But as part of that meeting, Mark, and this is why you have to pay attention for when things really, you got to be looking for the opportunity. This gentleman said, hey, we've got a few pilots that are retired that we obviously we managed their money when they were working for us as part of the retirement plan but after they retired they got all their money in a lump sum one check mm-hmm. put it in an IRA and they they need money managers to help them with that uh, and they want to use these American airline investments but we're not set up to work with individuals so would y'all take care of them use our products but you would kind of be the overseer of that and we said yeah it's really not our deal but we'll do it as a favor mm-hmm. so i went to I, I was head of sales and so i went to uh, he gave me four names i called on the first guy went to meet with him and i was like you know i was kind of tippet about it because it wasn't our focus you know mm-hmm. but i met with him anyway and at the end of the meeting he said i think it's something you might be interested in i've got something you that i'd like to show you i said okay so he goes to the back of his house comes back to the front and he brings me pieces of paper 
that have 1,500 other names, phones, and addresses of people just like him. Mm. And for the next 30 years, that's all we ever did. Wow. Was was not just those 1,500, but... Right. And the only thing that I did is I saw it as an opportunity, mm. and we ended up building a company that had $3 billion under management. But you got to be open. See, that's something that I struggle with. I think, you know, as a, as a creative agency... You, you we have our lanes, the things that we do really well, mm-hmm. you know, and then sometimes people come to us and they say, well, we actually need this. And sometimes I feel like, all right, should I just say no to those things because it's not in our main wheelhouse? But a lot of times I see that there's maybe opportunity there mm-hmm. and then the opportunity for growth for me, you know, like, okay, I have to learn a new skill in order to do this. Or I have to push myself out of my comfort zone. But I, I feel like there's always this battle of, yeah. of oh, yeah. should I focus on on the things that I'm yep. good at and and that I know how to do really well, or should I pivot a little bit and add this additional line of service or focus on these kind of things that may not be my main, you know? Yeah. What I thing. would tell you on that, Mark, because that's a good because I used to I get I, we got that all the time. Well, if mm-hmm. you can do this with pilots, what about doing this with doctors, or what about doing it with whatever? And and my approach was always that. Until we've called on every single pilot in America, mm-hmm. we're not getting out of our lane. Mm-hmm. Now, if what you're asking us to do enhances that, then we'll consider it. But unless you're maximizing your lane already, then other, everything else are shiny objects, all right? right. It doesn't okay. mean they're not good opportunities for somebody. Right. But if there's a still opportunity in your lane... Mm-hmm. then I would stay in the lane unless what that was really enhanced what my main focus was. That that okay. was me. Now, maybe you're someone and other people are people that can do all of those different things. I needed to stay right there in my lane, and it, mm-hmm. it definitely benefited us to do that. Well, yeah, and I, I, a lot of times I feel like I'll, I'll try to jump into something, you know, that's kind of outside of our lane. Yep. And then it ends up just falling apart, you know, we're just yeah, not working nope. out and I have to close it up and then go back to focusing on the things that, yeah. you know, are my, my bread and butter and the things that, that we do really well. Because no business, no business or no idea is stale, right? It's moving forward or backwards or stable. It's going forward or backwards. So if we go off on the next idea, our original lane, we may think is staying the way it was, but it's really going backwards, because it needs to move forward all the time. So you're, you've hit the right spot. All right, we're going to pause this conversation here. Uh, go to thefridayhabit.com. There you can find show notes for this episode. Uh, there you can also find links to our websites and ways to get in touch. At the bottom of the page, you can download our guide to the Friday Habit System that will show you how to set aside one full day each week dedicated to working on your business instead of in your business. If you're not already, make sure you subscribe. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear next week's episode, subscribe so you get notified. Uh, Also, leave us a review in Apple Podcast app uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to potentially be on one of our episodes uh, with a question you ask us, go ahead and record a quick message in your phone, voice memo, and email it to hello at thefridayhabit.com. Until next time, live every day like it's Friday. Friday.